Welcome to the Risky Business Podcast. Uh, this podcast is an in-depth look at country risk around the world. Uh, in part, it is um, based upon the TXF country risk ratings. You can go to those ratings if you click on at www.txfnews.com slash country risk. We're here uh, to talk about the MENA region, and I'll just give you some of the figures we have for uh, for July 2018. Egypt risk rating of 338.64, and that's a rise of 9%. Iran, a risk rating of 329.25, a rise of 18%. Israel, um, a, a metric of uh, 235.06, a rise of uh, 31%. Uh, Saudi, um, 232.8, a rise of 13%. Uh, the UAE, with a, you know, a a modest number, 66, but still a rise of, of 10.5%. And it's only, of the of the metrics we've got, it's only uh, Oman, uh, with a risk rating of 95.9. That's actually gone down, it's gone down by point, uh, 0.62% over, over the period. So, looks like... Um, quite a number of concerns from uh, from the face of it. Can you talk about some of that? So in the Middle East and North Africa, um, conflict is endemic and, and threat and, and risk is endemic. And I think everybody knows that. So a lot of the risks tend to get priced in. But at the moment, I think what you've got is three really fundamental things that are, that are going on. The first is uh, the fact that um, Russia and the United States still haven't really decided um, what to do about Syria. So Syria remains a big conflict zone, obviously. Um, it's becoming a, a flashpoint where um, interests all the way around the world are involved. So um, you've got more than just the religious conflict, the, the conflict between um, different, different models of Islam. You've also got conflict between East and West and support for Iran by Russia and support for Israel uh, by the United States. So you've got a flashpoint there. Um, the second thing is the conflict in Yemen. And um, there's no sign actually of that abating, even though there's been um, a, a big drive by the United Nations to try and resolve um, the issue of the, the blockade and bombarding of, of the ports in Yemen. Um, and and that's a big concern as well. And and the reason why that's a concern is because it's it's made the United Arab Emirates, the UAE, step off its neutral plate platform and, and start getting involved in a more explicit way. It's always been implicitly there, but now it's actually explicitly involved. And the other big threat to the region is uh, the fact that, again, it's a big global thing. The United States has pulled out of the nuclear deal with Iran. So um, the imposition of sanctions, that has a very big um, consequence for anybody who's trading in the region because a lot of the relationships within the region are hidden um, in terms of how they trade with Iran through countries like Oman and through countries like Qatar as well. Yeah, I mean, we haven't got Qatar on on the um, on the metrics yet, but presumably that's also one where there'll be significant risks at the moment. So Qatar's interesting because Qatar itself is actually relatively stable, um, and what Qatar is doing 
is looking to Russia, obviously, and looking outside of um, the region. And, and what the blockade of Qatar has done by Saudi Arabia, the United Emirates, Bahrain and Egypt, what that's done is it's actually isolated Qatar in some ways, but it's pushed trade in particular to increase with countries like Russia and the UAE. So actually the net effect on trade going into and out of Qatar has, has been minimal. Um, so if you look at the risks in the region in terms of trade, trade finance, actually they're, they're not that much higher. The problem is always the bigger risk, which is risk of breaking sanctions and, and that being traced trace back. So Qatar itself hasn't become intrinsically more risky, but the environment around it has become more risky. Okay. And you mentioned uh, United Arab Emirates before, and, and so I did too. It, it, it's it's relatively low risk, but also a, a, a fairly wild swing within sort of the global context. Uh, can you talk a little bit more about that? Uh Yes, so I think uh, the UAE is really interesting because it's always been seen as kind of a, a bedrock of stability in the Middle East. It's sort of the Middle East, Switzerland, if you like. And if you saw a 10% swing from in risk um, to the to the downside um, in Switzerland, you'd be very worried about it. So um, there's a lot of money, there's a lot of resource, there's a lot of investment in, in the UAE. And what's happened is that the UAE has started to become more explicit about its foreign policy. So it's become more aligned with Saudi Arabia. It's become um, more aggressive in terms of um, the detention camps that it has in Yemen. It's become more um, aggressive in terms of its actual direct action, um, bombing the port for data, for example. So um, it's it's been um, UAE hardware that's enabled all of that. Now, the UAE officially has a foreign policy that's completely neutral. But because of what's going on in the region, um, it's actually being pushed to be less neutral. And and the risk that that places is it actually fragments the GCC. So the Gulf Cooperation Council. Um, so the Gulf Cooperation Council at the moment um, consists of all the countries in the region that have similar political alignments. And what you're beginning to see is sort of some mild conflicts um, between the members of the GCC. Okay. Um, I'd like to move on to trade trends specifically. You've mentioned some of them already, certainly with regard to Qatar. Um, are there any um, anomalies or interesting uh, items that you're seeing within sort of some of the trade trends either within the region or or um, with the region within the rest of the world that you can highlight at the moment? So highlighting the region as a whole, you're beginning to see Russia become more important as a trading partner of the region. And you can't help but think a lot of those risks are, and a lot of that trend is because of the realignment of politics. So Egypt is um, doing more geostrategic work with Russia. It's therefore trading more with Russia as well. So you're seeing uh, more in terms of arms going into Egypt from Russia, for example. Um, I think more broadly, if you start looking at uh, the trade patterns, um, soft commodities from sub-Saharan Africa going into uh, the Middle East as a region, um, has increased, but if you're looking at um, oil um, and you know the 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 
the the possibility of diversifying away from its oil dependency, um, actually the increase there's an increase in services and um, a lot of that is actually travel and tourism. So if you're looking at um, business travel as well as as well as tourist travel, so if you're looking at some of the things um, that are growing in the region, then um, then it's a lot of it is around ports and because. A lot of the sectors that are growing in trade terms are around digital and ports. They have very high security and risk elements attached to them as well. Okay, I have a couple of follow-up questions. So, so moving back on, onto the Russia example, you mentioned that there was there was defence into to Egypt, but aside from that, in more general terms, what what is moving from sort of Russia to the Middle East and vice versa? Um, so it's oil. Mm-hmm. Um, it's oil and it's wheat, mm-hmm. um, effectively. So, I mean, it's still very much commodity-based. Russia is still very much a commodity-based economy, as is the Middle East. Um, so, if you look at if if you look at the patterns of trade, you're seeing a lot of um, information technology, a lot of um, a lot of um, security technology coming into the Middle East, particularly Saudi Arabia and the UAE. That's coming in from China. A lot of it is coming in from China. If you look at commodities, a lot of that is coming in from Russia. Okay, and looking at that oil and wheat trade flow between Russia and the Middle East, if those are both in increasing, uh, where in the world is 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 decreasing instead? You know, is it is it Russia to Europe or? So you don't have to assume that trade... I, I think one of the really interesting things about trade is it isn't a zero-sum game. So just because Russia is exporting more um, to the Middle East doesn't necessarily mean it's exporting less somewhere else. Um, that's that's actually quite an important point. So um, because, because Russia's trade has actually been, ironically, in spite of everything that's going on, been increasing. Um, so, so Russia, um, particularly its agriculture, has been doing really rather well, but also... So oil into China and across the Middle East has been doing rather well as well. So um, it's not a zero-sum game in trade. Um, And what it just means is is that there's this slight shift away from buying oil um, and buying buying stuff from Western Europe and from um, America the Middle East is looking to buy its commodities where it needs to be safe and have that type of security um, from Russia as well now. Okay. And and in terms of trade trends within things like defence, dual-use goods, uh, I'm guessing there's been a, a big influx into to Syria and Yemen, unfortunately, for, for some time. But are there other spikes that you've seen or, or other recent changes upwards or downwards? Um, so one of the really interesting things is actually um, IT, um, the dual-use goods that are in IT. You know, one person's semiconductor export is a, is is another person's uh, security system import. So, you know, there's 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 a there's there's a lot of stuff that's hidden in that sort of what we call cyberspace trade, which is very much within the physical goods trade. We've seen big spikes in that um, going into, and they're not spikes; they're patterns going into. Saudi Arabia. Now it does come from that does come from um, the the West. That does come from Britain, and it does come from the United States. A lot of arms into Saudi Arabia comes from Britain and comes from the United States as well. But one of the interesting things is that you can actually track the proxy wars that are going on between um, between the countries within the Middle East. So, um, of course, Iran doesn't trade with Yemen. 
it couldn't possibly trade with Yemen. And this is why Oman starts to become very interesting because Oman, politically very stable, it has an ageing and dying leader at the moment. There is a politi- slight political risk that the leadership might um, that might die and not leave, a, not leave a succession in place, but, but the risks are relatively minor. But Oman increasingly is looking at Iran as a trading partner because... Um, because it's a strategic a strategic interest, um, and Iran is exporting um, a, a lot more in terms of dual use goods to Oman, and Oman is increasing its exports to Yemen in terms of dual use goods and arms as well. So that while Iran itself isn't trading with Yemen. Oman is. Um, and, and you can see a lot of these types of patterns are beginning to emerge in the data. You're beginning to see sort of, for example, dual use goods in propulsion technologies going into Iran against missile tests. Um, we, can, we can track all of that as well. So there are some very interesting patterns in the data. Okay. And with um, the United States having a slightly changed role within the Middle East, uh, what's that meant for the role of Israel in this? Because I noticed that Israel is the, the highest percentage increase of, of all the countries that you you study yeah so I mean Israel has been um, has been a difficult country for a very long time um, it's like Egypt in that in that sense but um, what's happened is that the United States um, for the last couple of years since since President Trump came to power has been reviewing its its relationship with countries in the Middle East. It's very keen to move out of Syria. Um, It's broken up its relationships with Iran, uh, but it has, has, through moving um, its embassy and by uh, supporting Israeli actions in in um, Palestine, for example, has actually put nominally its backing behind Israel completely. So it's given Israel the confidence, if you like, to know that um, its ally, the United States, is behind it. So it's made it's made Israel a little bit more aggressive. So it's been bombing Iranian um, positions in Syria. It's it's obviously um, had the conflicts in Palestine have become more frequent so um, and more violent. So Israel's position has become a bit more assertive in the region, and that's that's a dis- destabilizing or a counterbalancing um, influence um, in the region at the moment. So it has become more risky. Okay. And you mentioned Egypt being in a similar position. Perhaps you can talk about sort of, uh, yeah, the trends that are affecting Egypt at the time. So so Egypt is, is um, looking to Russia and trying to align itself more with Iran um, in in terms of um, its 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 political stance. But what's really interesting in Egypt is actually the influence of terrorism. Um, So we've seen a big increase in the risks in Egypt attached to terrorism. um, And that is because uh, the security services are struggling against pockets of insurgency and pockets of terrorism that are within the country. Um, And so Egypt's main risks at the moment are actually internal ones around around that risk of terrorism, but it is also strategically increasing its relationships with Russia. And this goes back to the point I, I first made, that actually because the US and Russia are effectively fighting proxy wars themselves in the Middle East, that's or fighting their own conflict in the Middle East, it's, it's become a very risky uh, region again. Okay, and, and taking it um, to... You know the the investment and finance community. A number of the the countries we've mentioned um, 
for example, Egypt, uh, Saudi, UAE, uh, and also Kuwait that we haven't, um, and Qatar, uh, are seeing a, uh, a lot of investment, a lot of long-term investment, uh, infrastructure, project finance going in. How does that interplay with what you're suggesting as a, as a slightly more risky environment? So I think there's something very interesting here. You have to separate out um, what businesses do. Um, from what politicians do. Um, and um, any platform that I go to, whether it's trade finance, whether it's banking, whatever it might be, everybody says um, we need to be very careful to separate out political rhetoric and political risk from this. Because one of the things is that if you see a spike in political risk, does that make a country intrinsically less investable? No, it means that you have to manage those risks that are in the region. So prefix everything that I'm about to say with that. Um, I think if you look at countries like the UAE, you look at Oman, you look at Qatar, you look at Saudi Arabia, Saudi Arabia has higher risk because of its proximity and it to an involvement with Yemen. But the other countries actually are quite stable. And you look at what the governments across the region are doing on a business level and look at what businesses are doing. And they're, they're actually trying to encourage SMEs, trying to encourage diversification away from oil. Um, there are a lot of very encouraging things that are happening on the ground in, in every single country in the region. So that, that it's very important to see political risk as something that needs to be managed. But you know what the risks are in the region, which is why money continues to go in. It's, these, these risks in the region tend not to push markets anymore or, or have a long-term effect anymore on, um, on, on market stability because everybody knows that the region is risky and they know exactly what the re- risks are. And just a reminder, you can go to txfnews.com slash country risk for a detailed analysis and data on all the countries mentioned on today's podcast. 